extend Christian greetings to each this morning. I uh, thought I would start with a little bit of a uh, of a mask presentation this morning for the children. I have a number of children here this morning, so do the children here this morning have a question for you? Is my mask on? It's not on? Okay, that's correct. How about now? Is my mask on now? Still not on. Is that good? I was at a place of business a number of weeks ago, and the sign on the door said mask required upon entry. And um, so I had my mask with me, and I put it on. And um, as I was walking to the store, I noticed a variety of other people that didn't have their masks on. And so I just took mine and hung it inside of me, hung it on my ear like I did at first there, and walked throughout the store. And uh, I come upon an elderly couple, and I noticed they were looking at me and saying something. As I walked by them, I didn't hear the whole conversation, but I heard this. She said, it doesn't do much good inside of his face. And, you know, I suppose it should have because it did. That, you know, that, that spoke to me. That smote me because, you know, the sign the door said, and it's the law to wear masks in public places. And she was offended that I was not wearing my mask. Even though I had it here. I had it on my face, but just not in the proper place. And I had to think about that. I had to think about that in relation to God's Word. You know, there's people who are willing who knowingly take out portions of God's Word. They just take it away and say, it doesn't apply to me. And I understand we're in New Testament times. I understand that. I'm not talking about the Old Covenant versus New Covenant. People that take, take out portions of Scripture that are for us today and put it to the side saying that doesn't apply to us anymore. They're willing to live their lives that way. Knowingly taking away God's Word. And, uh, you know, it might be, that might be a fairly uh, weak way of putting it, but, you know, are we willing to live by God's Word in its entirety? Or are we willing to put it in the side of our face and say we're doing okay, like I did with the mask? Where are we at with it? I hope this morning that we trust and honor and obey God's Word in its entirety, not just what we want to live by. You know, a lot of times people start taking out, they carve out sections. And oftentimes it's sections that makes their life easier for them. And I've come to this conclusion about the Christian life. The Christian life is a life of sacrifice. It's a life, it's, it's, it's a life of sacrificing, sacrificing our lives for the Lord Jesus. And He may be asking you to sacrifice more than He's asking me. But that's what, it's a life of sacrifice. It's all He asks of us. He's, he wants our heart. He wants our life. The title of the message this morning is The Truth Shall Make You Free. The Truth Shall Make You Free. Jesus is speaking. You can turn to John 38. Jesus is teaching here, and He has a multitude or, shall we say, a congregation of Jews He's, he's talking to. And, uh, you know, John 8.32 says, 
ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now if we back up to verse 30 of that chapter, as He spake these words, many believed on Him. Then Jesus said to the Jews which believed on Him, if ye continue in My word, then ye are My disciples indeed. So He takes them to the next level. The ones who believed, He took them to the next level and said, if you continue, we can't stop here. This is elementary what we're talking about. It's elementary, yet it's detrimental. But he said, if ye continue, if, let me back up, if ye continue my word, then are ye made my disciples indeed. And this morning, are we the ones who have continued in God's word? Are we those who have continued? Where are we at? The subject of freedom, you know, physical freedom is something that everyone appreciates. We all appreciate the physical freedom that we are enjoying today. We're not in bondage to the outside world. We're not, we're not, none of us are bound here. We're not behind bars. We're physically free. People that I've spoken to in prison who are in prison, they're looking forward to the day when they're going to be released. Most every prisoner I've ever talked to that has a release date, no matter how far ahead it was, he knew that day. It was going to be October 21st of 2020. That was his release date. Um, I was in South Carolina a number of years ago in a prison crusade, and uh, you know, I was talking to a man that had been behind bars for 37 years. At that time, that's older than what I was. He'd been behind bars that long. He had another seven years to go. But he knew his release date. And to him, it was coming up after 37 years. What's in those seven, right? But he was looking forward to that. And there's a lot of stories that y'all have read about slaves who went to great lengths to gain their freedom. They wanted to be free. They didn't want to be in bondage to anybody. And they went to great lengths for that. And you can see, you know, you'll see bumper stickers that say freedom isn't free. And of course, that's referring to the physical freedom in America. And it's true that people... A lot of people paid a large price for the freedom that we are enjoying today. But you know, God is still the one in control of that. If God wanted us to be in bondage to another country or to people, that's where we would be at. But God gives us the freedom. And I'm very thankful this morning for physical freedom. But that's not my message this morning. The message this morning is spiritual freedom. Did you know it is possible today to be physically in bondage, but spiritually free. It's very possible to be that. We, we can be in physical bondage. I'm talking behind bars. You can be a slave to somebody else if none of us find ourselves enslaved to anybody else. But there's a lot of people who were, and they were still free because they were spiritually free. And that is very possible. The type of freedom I want to talk about this morning is way more important than just physical freedom. Physical freedom is important, but this is spiritual freedom. There's a lot of people today who are enjoying physical freedom, but they're in spiritual bondage. They're enjoying physical freedom, but they're in spiritual bondage. The Bible tells us that we're servants to whom we obey. We're servants to whom we obey. And that's in Romans 6.16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey. That's not too hard to understand, is it? If we obey somebody, we're their servants. The verse is pretty simple. If we live in or obey sin, it's going to lead to death. 
Actually, I didn't read the rest of that verse, did I? Whether it's whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. See, this is it's a two kingdom concept here. Okay, which side are we on? Who are we obeying? Whether of sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. If we live in obedience to God's word in its entirety, it will lead to eternal life. No, we can't take out portions that we don't like. We can't take out portions we think don't apply to us. All of God's Word. It was written. It was given to us by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was not just a committee that sat down and said, this is how we think the church should operate. It wasn't just a group of men that got together that wanted their wives to be in subjection unto them. It was God breathing down the Holy Spirit upon men and they wrote as they were instructed. That's the word we're looking at today. Are you okay this morning to be servants of the Most High God? Or does the term servant sound too much like bondage to you? Does the term servant sound like bondage? In Daniel 3.26, you have to turn there. i got the verses written down here. There were three men who were the servants of the Most High God and they were not ashamed to call Him or to be called His servants. They were not ashamed of that. They were not ashamed. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm sorry. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar gave the order that, it, that the sound of any kind of music, everyone must fall down and worship a 90-foot image of him. And we're talking about pride now. I mean, he had a 90-foot image made that looked like him, and he wanted everybody to fall down and worship at every sound of music, okay? And it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a commandment that these men clearly understood. They clearly heard the instruction. They clearly knew what was expected of them. But they refused. They refused even when they were given a second chance. The king, we might say, was kind enough to give them a second chance. But they chose. They said, no, we're not going to do that. They knew exactly where they stood. They believed that God's word would set them free. They lived in the freedom of God's word. They didn't care if, it, if, they, didn't care if they were free physically. They were more concerned about their spiritual freedom. And they knew what, they knew what the sentence was upon them. But they were willing to take that risk because they knew where, spirit, where spiritual freedom lay, and it was in serving God. They knew, they knew, they knew the commandment or they knew the requirement, and they chose to go against it because they were not going to bow down to an ungodly image. The ungodly king eventually recognized whose servants these men were. He recognized by the way they lived. And then by the way they... Well, let me read that verse. Nebuchadnezzar, after they were thrown in the fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar came near and spoke, and he called them the servants of the Most High God. Now, how did he know they were servants of the Most High God? How did he know that? Well, they had just walked, been thrown into a fiery furnace that had been made seven times hotter. He'd even killed the soldiers who threw him in. And these men lived through it. And they come out, they didn't even smell like smoke. I think he recognized who these men served. He said, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth. Come forth. God chose that day to deliver these men from physical bondage because they lived in spiritual freedom. But had God chose not to deliver them, what then? Well, then we would read the story that we had three martyrs. We'd read the story we had three martyrs who gave their lives because they didn't want to worship an image. That's how the story would read. And we'd be okay with that story. 
because these men gave their lives. But the story doesn't stop there. See, God chose to deliver them. God chose to deliver them because they chose to accept God. They chose to worship God. These men were servants of the Most High God and they felt free. God gave them the freedom to choose and they chose. Where was everybody else, by the way? Were these the only three men who had the nerve? Were they the only three men who followed God? You know what I think it was? I think there was a lot of other people who wanted to be where they were, but they did not have the courage. They did not have true spiritual freedom. They did not have the courage to stand up against the king. I can't read that in the Bible, but that's my assumption. I think there was a lot more out there that just didn't have that kind of courage. You know, these men, they chose their destiny and accepted the road. A lot of people today are choosing the road and then they will accept the destiny. But these men chose their destiny and accepted whatever road God took them on. Can, can, we, can we do that this morning? Have we chosen our destiny and accepting the road that God calls us to walk? These men felt free. God gave them the freedom to choose and they chose. They chose what they knew was the right way. Was it the easy way? Is the Christian life always the easiest way? No, it's not. The Christian life is not always the better roses. It's not always the easiest way. It would have been a lot easier for these men to fall down and worship the image. At least look like they were worshiping. They could have been praying to God. You know, and they would, they would look like they were worshiping just to avoid the furnace. But they said, no, we're not doing that. We're living for the Lord. They knew it was the right way, but it wasn't the easiest way. Let's look at our text verse again. Ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So what is truth? What is truth? Pilate asked that question. You know, prior to Jesus' crucifixion, Pilate said, what is truth? You know, did he not understand truth? Did he not know where it was? Was he that far gone that he didn't know what truth was? Or did he want Jesus to explain truth? I'm not sure. Or was he just trying to wipe his hands? Maybe that's what was going on. What is truth, he said. You know, as parents, when an issue arises between our children and we weren't there to witness whatever it was, what do we try to find? We try to find the truth. We want to know what happened here. What, you know, what, what you're saying one thing, you're saying another. Where's the truth at? It's, it's important that we find that out, right? And in court, when you go in the court system, there's, you know, there's two people at odds with each other. It's up to the judge to decide the truth. Because you got one party saying this and one party saying this. Where's the truth at? The judge needs to decide that. Judge and maybe a jury, whoever else is involved. Why is truth so important? Even the ungodly society recognizes that truth is important sometimes. But why is it so important? Because it is something we can build on. It is something we can build on. Truth is very important. We will never go wrong by being truthful and honest in everything we do. Everything. Honesty is the best policy. We know that. But the truth here in John 8 is talking about way more than just what we say. It's a lot more than that. It goes a lot deeper than that. While it's included, there's more than that. <clears throat> John 8.36 says, If the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Okay? The truth here in John 8 is Jesus Himself. 
John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. Jesus here is praying to the Father. He's praying to God. He's praying for the sanctification of the believers. He then asks God to sanctify them through his truth. He says, thy word is truth. Everything God says is truth. God cannot lie. The Bible tells us that. First Timothy, I'm sorry, First um, Titus 1, 2. In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. It is not possible for God to speak the untruth. Just the way it's not possible for Satan to speak the truth. And if Satan says something that's true, it is with the intent to deceive. Okay? He's a liar and the father of it. The Bible tells us that as well. Every person born has the ability and the likelihood to say the untruth. The ability and the likelihood. We all have it within us to be untruthful. We all have it within us to have the ability to twist something around to make it suit us better, to make us look better. We all have that ability. It can be the tone of voice. It can be by the words we use. We can say the same words, but it can be the untruth. You know, imagine where we would be at today if we could never be quite sure if God's being honest with us or not. Where would we be at today? You know, we'd never be sure. Or maybe God would change His mind. That's not the kind of God we have. It's not the kind of God we worship. God's Word is truth. Back to my point. The truth in John 8 is Jesus and also God's Word. John 1, 1 and 2 says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. The word here is Jesus. It's truth. It's truth. Revelation 19.11-13 says, And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. He that sat upon him was called Faithful and True and Righteousness. He doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no man knew but himself. I often remember what that name was, but we don't know that. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Who was riding the white horse? It's called the Word of God. It's called the Word of God. So what I'm seeing here in the Bible, God's Word, Jesus, they're one and equal. They all work together. There's, there's, there's different, you know, there's differences, but they're all together. You know, we cannot separate Jesus from the Bible. If you take Jesus away from the Bible, the pages are clear. There's nothing in it. There's, the pages are white. There's nothing there. The next phrase of John 8.32 says, And the truth shall make you free. So what are we being freed from? You might say this morning, Well, I was never in bondage. That's what the Jews said to Jesus. We weren't in bondage. So what are we being freed from? We're being freed from the bondage of sin. That's what. Sin is bondage. You know, there's people, that, there's people that think that if they can go out and just enjoy life for a little while, just enjoy this, the pleasure of sin for a season. That's bondage. Sin is bondage. The Jews Jesus was talking here did not understand spiritual freedom. Why did they not understand it? Because they didn't want to believe in Jesus. They didn't understand what spiritual freedom was. And they noted that they were descendants of Abraham. You know, they, that, that really made their head swell. They were descendants of Abraham. They, they really thought they were somebody. You know, have you ever met somebody that's pretty proud of where they came from? That's how the Jews were. They were descendants of Abraham. 
And they felt, I guess, I guess in that they felt a sense of freedom because they were descendants of Abraham. Jesus responds in verse 34. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. That's pretty simple. I can't really expound on that. I mean, if we, if we live in or if we continue to sin, we're the servants of sin. Jesus knew the hearts of the people just like he knows our hearts today. And if Jesus was here speaking to us today, what would he tell us? What would he tell us today? Whosoever committeth sin is a servant of sin. That's what Jesus said. Every human being brought into the world is innocent. They're born innocent. But the time will come when they must choose who they will serve. The time will come when God will call them. All you here this morning who are serving the Lord, you probably remember when God was speaking to you. You know how it felt. And God was called. Maybe at first when it happened, you didn't know what was happening. You weren't sure. But God will, God will speak to everyone at one point in time in their life, and they must choose. I've heard it said that innocent, innocent children are little sinners. I don't agree with that. I don't agree with that. I'm sorry. They have a sin nature. The sin nature that we're all born with. But no one is a sinner until they make a choice to sin. Then they're a sinner. A little child is not a sinner. They have a sin nature. But once they choose to sin, that makes somebody a sinner. And if they do not make that choice eventually to follow God, if we don't make that choice eventually to follow God, we become servants of the kingdom of darkness. That's who we'll become. You know, a certain time in our lives, God calls us. And we either choose to follow Him or we turn the other way. It's up to us. Jesus, who is the living Word, will set us free from the bondage of sin. That is truth. The Jews in verse 33 did not understand. They thought that they were not the slave. They thought they were not slaves. Since they were not slaves and physical slaves, they were not in bondage. They answered and said, We be Abraham's seed. We were never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, thou, how sayest thou you shall be made free? Jesus responds in verse 34. Verily, verily, I say unto you, and I had this verse earlier, whosoever committed sin is a servant of sin. He was talking to them directly. He was talking to them directly. Whosoever committed sin is a servant of sin. It's pretty straightforward, isn't it? And in verse 35, Jesus explains the difference between the son and a slave. This is language that the Jews understood very clearly because it's, it's the world they lived in. It's language that we might understand as well today. But Jesus said, And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. You know, the Jews knew what this was about. If a servant was disobedient, the master could get rid of him or her. It was just that easy. They, they could sell you. They could trade you. They could be expelled for no reason at all. But, the, you know, the children, the heirs, they were not to be bought, sold, or traded. They stayed. So they knew that language very well. Then in verse 36, Jesus makes his point. He says, the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Break it down a little bit. If the Son of God, that's Jesus, who is the heir of all things, who is forever with God, who has the right and power to liberate men from whatever bondage they are in, that's who Jesus is, shall make you free, shall deliver you from the bondage and the dominion of sin. The bondage and dominion of sin. 
Free indeed. Truly and really free. We can be blessed with the most valuable freedom. Not necessarily from the chains and oppressions of earthly masters, but true inner spiritual freedom from the bondage of sin. Jesus promises us unconditional spiritual freedom. He starts verse 36 with an if. If the Son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free. Hmm. What does the term if mean? Does it mean that there's a possibility Jesus won't make us free? Or that He can't free us? Is that what that if is in there? No, the if isn't there because the choice is ours. It is up to you. If God offers you that freedom, it's up to you to choose to follow or choose to not do. It's up to us to accept God's plan of salvation. It's not all that complicated. And if we do that, if we allow Jesus to control our life, then and only then will we experience true spiritual freedom. Never without it. Never. One thing we need to remember, on our own, we will not have the power to live above sin. Nobody does. I'm sorry. None of us have the power to live above sin on our own. Once we accept God's plan of salvation, then and only then will He give us the power to enable us to live above sin. Not without. John 1.12 says this, But as many as received Him, to them gave He power, as power, to become the sons of God. Even to them that believe on His name. There's one way to Jesus, and that's in John 14.6. Jesus says unto Him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. There's only one way. The way I see it is pretty simple. Jesus came so we can experience true spiritual freedom. Or we can live for ourselves and be in bondage. It's up to us. The choice is ours. I'm going to look at an account here this morning. Acts 16, if you care to turn there about some men who were in physical bondage, but they were, in spirit, they were experiencing physical freedom. I'm sorry, I turned that around. They were in physical bondage, but they were experiencing spiritual freedom. Let's get that right. It's very important. Acts 16. Start reading at verse 26. I want you to keep one thing in mind as we read here and talk about this account. These men cared nothing for their physical freedom. They didn't care about that. Okay, I'm going to come back to that a little later. Just remember that comment. And suddenly, let me back up, verse 25. At midnight, you know, Paul and Silas were thrown in prison. At midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open, and everyone's bands were loosed. The keeper of the prison, awakened out of his sleep, seeing the prison doors open, drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing the prisoners had fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Do thyself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, sprang in, and came trembling, fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, saying, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved in thy house. And they spake to him the word of the Lord and all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, washed their stripes, and was baptized, he and all his straight, he and all his straight way. And when he, had, when he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. Stop reading there for a moment. Paul and Silas were doing the work of the Lord. They were doing what they were called to do. The people turned against him. We go back to verse 22. The people turned against him. They had him cast into prison. They were severely punished. They were severely punished. 
Now remember that. They were given to the jailer and said, keep them secure. And he did his best to do that. So here Paul and Silas had found themselves in prison. They were beaten. They were sore. They were hurting. They were in stocks. They couldn't, they couldn't hardly move. Did they feel sorry for themselves? It says at midnight they were singing praises. I mean, most any midnight, if you come to our house, you're going to find everything quiet and everybody's sleeping. Okay, midnight there's not a lot of singing and praising on our house. Okay, everybody's everybody's down at that time. All right, but they took their spiritual freedom they were enjoying to a new level. While they were in physical bondage, they sang praises unto God. Now I just try to put myself in their shoes and say, where what 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 would I be doing? Sitting there feeling sorry for myself? I mean, God, I, I chose to follow you, and you told me to go out and preach, and I did. And here I find myself in prison. Now what? It's not what they were doing. I mean, I don't know. It says here at midnight they sang praises. I don't know why they waited until midnight. I'm not sure. doesn't really matter. But at midnight they were singing praises unto God. They were free. And they proved their spiritual freedom by singing and praising. They proved it. Okay? They showed to those out around them. And, you know, I wondered, what did Paul and Silas pray for? Did they pray for their freedom? Or did they pray for their captors? Did they pray for their enemies? The Bible doesn't tell us what they prayed for. The Bible doesn't tell us, you know, what they were praying for. I mean, we know there was an earthquake and they were loosed. And at that, at that point in time, when they had the ability, when their hands were loosed, they could, have, they could have ran out of jail. They were free men. Okay? But what did they do? They again proved their spiritual freedom by staying there. They could have allowed that jailer to take his own life. It was his fault they were in that prison cell. They could have said, fine, let him kill himself. If that's what he wants to do, go for it. You know, I, I heard a man say that one time, a professing believer... It was an account a number of years ago when you know, the, the law had stopped somebody from taking his own life. And this is what this man said. He said, if, they, if people want to kill themselves, let them kill themselves. What's the big deal if that's what they want to do? Is that how we feel? That was a side note. Let me get back to Paul and Silas here. They proved their spiritual freedom. In verse 32, they spoke unto him the word of the Lord. They spoke unto him about spiritual freedom. They spoke unto him why they were able to sing praises while their hands and the feet were tied up. You know, they were, they, were, they were prisoners. They were in physical bondage like none of us have ever been. And yet they explained to the jailer why that didn't bother them because we're free on the inside. They preached the gospel to him and to his family. You know, it's very obvious to me here this morning that physical freedom was not first and foremost on their list. They did not care for physical freedom. I'm sure they enjoyed it. I'm sure they appreciated it. But it wasn't first and foremost. They cared more about getting the Word of God out than they did about physical freedom. I want to notice something here. I told you remember what I said earlier, right? Paul and Silas went from the jailer's house back to jail on their own account. Remember, they were free. God opened the doors of the prison. They were free to go. They not only stayed around, they saved the jailer. Well, God saved them, but through their message. They saved the preached message to the jailer. They went to his house. They were fed. They were washed. Now they were free to go. 
What did they do? They went back to prison. Let me read verse 30, 35 to the end of the chapter. And when it was day, the magistrates sent for the sergeant, saying, Let these men go. Okay? The keeper of the prison told this, saying to Paul, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Now therefore depart and go in peace. They went back behind bars after they were free. That's why I said what I did in the onset of this. They didn't care for their, spiritual, for their physical freedom. They only cared about their spiritual freedom. That was first and foremost in their minds. That's all they cared about. You know, what would I have done in that situation? I'm thinking as soon as my hands and feet were loose, I'd been running real fast the other way. I want to get out of here. But that's not what they had in mind. They cared for the people around them. They cared for the people that injured them. We can say all we want about our freedom in Christ. But does it show? Does our freedom in Christ show by how we treat other people? We can say we're free. I think this morning if I was to ask everyone you here individually, you'd all say, I am free. But does it show by the way we live our lives? Do we have to talk about it because, you know, it doesn't show? I mean, Paul and Silas, it was very evident. It was very evident in their lives. But what about you and I's life today? I'm looking at an account in Matthew. You can turn there, Matthew chapter 18. I know oftentimes we look at this account when we're talking about, you know, talking about uh, unforgiveness, bitterness, such as. It's a parable of the unmerciful servant. But I'll look at that from a different angle this morning. Just a little different angle. Matthew 18, let's start reading at verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king, which would take account of his servants. And when, when he had begun to reckon, one was brought unto him which owed him ten thousand talents. Forasmuch as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, his wife and children, all that he had, and payment to be made. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. The Lord of that servant was moved with compassion, loosed him, forgave him the debt. The same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred pence. He laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. His fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. But he would not, and went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what was done, they were very sorry. They came and told, they came and told unto their Lord all that was done. Then his Lord, after he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant! I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not, as, shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth, delivered him unto the tormentor till he should pay all that was due unto him. We'll stop reading there. There was a man here in verse 24 who had a debt that he could not pay. And that is a, that is a perfect picture of us before God. That is a debt that we owe to God. There's no way we can ever pay it. If God would require of us the debt of our salvation, we could never pay it. There's nothing we could do. We could never work long enough hours to pay that debt. Okay, do we all agree? There's no way we can earn our salvation. There's no way we can pay it. None of us here, I don't care how much you have, we cannot buy our way. There's no way. That's who we are in verse 24. That is all of us individually before God. We can never pay. Okay? Let's remember that. We can never pay that. 
The master, the Lord, was kind. He was moved with compassion when this, when this fellow came up to him and said he had not to pay, okay? And he told him what he has to do to pay. And I, I want to notice there in verse 25, even though he said he's going to need to sell all that he has, wife and children, everything, and payment to be made. Not a full payment. It would have just been a partial payment. It wouldn't have been everything, okay? The servant fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. And the Lord was moved with compassion. He forgave him the debt. See, that's the perfect story of us. We have a debt that we can't pay. Remember when you felt that heaviness on your chest and you know what to do about it? When you accepted Christ as your personal Savior, the, debt, the, the, the heaviness in your chest left. You were free. That's where this man found himself right now in verse 27. Okay? So now, verse 27, here we are. We're Christians now. Okay? We've been forgiven the debt. We walk out of there a free man. Now we're living the Christian life. Now what are we going to do? Now we're living the Christian life. Okay? This man received freedom. He received spiritual freedom. What did he do with it? Hmm. Verse 28. The servant went out and found one of his fellow servants, which owed him a hundred pence. Just a measly little bit that he owed him. Basically nothing in comparison to what he owed. Okay? Almost nothing. Laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what thou owest. Is that how we treat our fellow Christians? Is that how we treat our fellow man? After all, God has forgiven us. And then somebody does a little something against us. And we're offended. We're hurt. Do we, is that how we treat them? Just remember, we were, we were forgiven more than we could ever, ever pay. And what we owed to God is absolutely is a, is a mountain compared to what somebody else owes us. What that person owes us is nothing compared to what we owe God. Who are we not to extend grace and forgiveness to a fellow brother or sister? Who are we not to do that? Verse 28 to 30. This man had the opportunity to show the same compassion was showed to him. The servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Does that sound familiar? It's the same thing he asked from his Lord. And his Lord extended that to him. And he would not, but cast him into prison till he would pay the debt. How often do we put somebody in debtor's prison? Somebody that owes us something. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking somebody who offends us, somebody who does something against us. And we put them in debtor's prison because we won't extend the arm of grace to them. Where does that put us? Where does that put us if we're not willing to forgive somebody who has wronged us? Where does that put us? I'll tell you where it puts us. Go down to the end of the chapter, verse 35. 35, 35. 34 and 35. <clears throat> His Lord was wroth, delivered him to the tor tormentor till he should pay all that was due unto him. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if you from your hearts forgive not every one of his brother their trespasses. Friends, it's serious business. It's very serious business. Thing of holding grudges, holding bitterness, unforgiveness against one another. Think about what you've been forgiven. But then yet we're willing to hold something against somebody else? And I think if we stand before God and we're able to see that mountain that God forgave us, 
but then we're willing to hold something against somebody else that's just such a teeny tiny thing. The Bible says it's going to keep us out of heaven. That's how serious it is. It's very serious that we forgive. Is it okay just to give lip service? Is it okay to say, I have forgiven, but not show it? You know, Paul and Silas could have said, well, hey, I'm, we're, we're certainly, we're definitely singing on the inside, definitely. Yeah, we're, we're happy to be here, but, you know, we're praying and singing, but whew, all this pain I'm in, and you always don't understand what we've gone through, you know. So, yeah, we're singing on the inside. Would, I mean, how, how would the story read today if we read it like that? They were singing on the inside. We didn't hear about it, you know. But no, they made sure people understood and people heard their freedom that they were experiencing. How about the people who wrong us? Do they know that we forgive them by the way we act or just by, just by what we say? There's a difference. People can give really, really good lip service. Real good lip service. Sounds real good. But how are we doing? Are we living it? The man in Matthew 18 here proved, proved that he did not have spiritual freedom. He was forgiven. He was given the opportunity, but he was living in bondage. He was living in bondage to self, to greed, because he chose not to forgive. How are we doing today? You know, if we don't have spiritual freedom, we're quite obviously won't extend it to other people. We won't because we don't have it. Okay, it's that simple. We can't extend something that we don't have. And I believe this morning that if we want to come out where Paul and Silas did, and that's where we're going to come out, right? That's how we want to come out. We're going to come out where Paul and Silas did, right? So if we want to come out where Paul and Silas did, then we must first experience spiritual freedom, followed by extending to others. Okay? That's very important. We're not just going to keep that all for ourselves. We're going to extend it to others. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That's understanding, and that's living the truth. Are we showing truth by the way we live? Are we showing truth by extending it to others? That's a valid question for us to consider. Shall we have a song?